the James Suckling podcast. Wine ratings, reports, interviews and more. Hi there, Clem. Hello, good day. Good morning to you. Yeah, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Um, So basically Mm. I'm writing a report on South Africa and it would be great to hear some of your opinions on how the industry is doing, um, where it's come in the last uh, 20 years or so, because I've heard from a few producers that um, they think it's really picked up in about the last 15 years. Yeah. Um, yeah. And where do you think it's it's heading and also how the last couple of years have affected it with COVID and everything? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that it's a really good question because it's it kind of ties into that the unknown nature that many people have of of South Africa overseas. Um, You know, I I pretty much entered the wine industry about 20 years ago. So 2003 was my first vintage. Um, And for sure, at that time, you know, South African wine uh, had been very uh, kind of isolated from the rest of the world for a long time. Winemakers couldn't travel, couldn't, you know, go and work in other countries very easily. We had very few international wines we could taste. So our winemaking was was quite isolated, and then after 1994, when when Nelson Mandela was released from prison, the things opened up very quickly. Um, and uh, I think for for 10, 15 years or so, South Africans felt that we had to kind of, I uh, suppose, like imitate the great wines of the world to make an impression. So you know, try and make a, a great Bordeaux blend or. Um, you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, so f- for a while, we were kind of just, I suppose, feeling the waters and, and not exactly sure how to, how to present ourselves. Uh, maybe we, we didn't have a lot of confidence, I suppose. Um, you know, and Shannon is a great example. I, I remember when, when I started getting into wine in the 90s, the, the best Shannons were like super oaky. Um, the, the winemakers are trying to make them taste like burgundy. Um, or they were trying to make them taste like Vouvray. So they were leaving a bit of sugar in them because they thought great Shannon had to be, you know, like, like Vouvray, you know, so, so the wines were interesting, but they didn't, they weren't really authentic. They weren't South African because they were trying to be something else. And um, I, yeah, I think what happened in the early two thousands is winemakers realized, you know, it's all great and well to make really nice wines that taste like something else, but there was this kind of desire to be authentic and South African. And that's, that's, I think, what's really happened the last 15 years is we're not trying to make other wines. We're just trying to make South African wines or Stellenbosch wines or Swatland wines. And um, that that's, I think, what's super cool because we're not over, you know, picking overripe or over oaking the wines or manipulating them to be like Vouvray or, or Bordeaux or whatever. We're, we just, we've got these amazing old vines that we're making and, and letting them be themselves through obviously very good winemaking. Um, but winemaking that has a nice transparency to it and um so i think that's that's what's really cool the last 15 years and and it's kind of started where we are in the swatland you know with this the swatland revolution we were a group of four winemakers who were super passionate about that um and and really focused extremely on it and and communicated with each other about what we were doing and and the kind of techniques to to make wines that way um, but it quickly spread into other places. So, so 
Stellenbosch is extremely interesting. Himmel and Arda, there's lots of regions that are, are focusing on what works for them rather than how can I make my wine taste like some other wine? <laughs> so, so that, yeah, I think, and, and that people are starting to realize now, you know, when we go to New York or London, uh, the, the top sommeliers there are super aware of that. And they're, you know, we go into uh, three-star Michelin restaurants and the guys, the sommeliers like high five us, you know, they're, they're so excited to see us. Whereas 15, 20 years ago, you would be, oh, I've got, you know, South African wine to taste. And they'd be like, oh no, sorry, I've, I'm busy or I've got an appointment. <laughs> or, um, so that's, uh, yeah, it's, it's exciting to see how it's being received. Yeah. And some of some of the old vines, so in particular Chenin Blanc, um, and even maybe some Syrah. How how old are, how old would you call old vines in South Africa? Because that changed yeah. over the world. And how how did people decide where to plant these varieties if they were sort of testing the waters to start with? Was it kind of just so, lucky that they decided to plant these specific varieties in those terroirs? Yeah, good question. So. Uh, Old vines is now a recognized category in South Africa, like like basically legally recognized, and the the age cutoff is thirty five years. Um, so any any vineyard that's older than thirty five is recognized as old vines. Um, there's not a lot of red varieties that are old vines, so it's mostly white varieties: Chenin, um, Palomino, Simeon, um, Claret Blanche. Those those you know, kind of varieties that were traditional in South Africa. There is a little bit of Grenache Noir. There's a, there's some Cinso and, and a few other parcels of red varieties, but it's mostly white. And that's kind of just to do with the, the history of South African wine, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago, white wine was huge in South Africa. Um, and also distilling was massive, making brandies, um, sherries were also very, very important. So we've got this huge, history and, and heritage of, of old vines, white, old white, white vineyards. Um, so yeah, it, it's mostly white, but there are a few amazing old red wine parcels um, as well. I suppose it is a little bit lucky in terms of the fact that they're there, um, they, they were planted, they weren't in, you know, a lot of them were in the Swatland, for instance, which wasn't a fashionable region. It was a bulk wine region. So these varieties were planted to make wines in, of, often in bulk. So 30, 40, 50 years ago, the wines were not extremely special, but I think it was lucky that they were left in the ground because in the 90s, when South Africa opened up, people did have a lot of Shannon and, and other varieties that they ripped out that were maybe 20 years old to replant Cabernet, Chardonnay, Merlot, that kind of thing in the more fashionable places like Black Stellenbosch, Francia, Constantia. So a lot of the, that heritage was lost, but in the unfashionable places like Swatland, um, they were just left in the ground because the farmers were just following, they were making bulk wine. <laughs> so in a way it is lucky that they're, they are still there. And, and that's what, what we recognize when we moved to the Swatland, we moved there because we knew there were these amazing vineyards. Ibn Saudi was the same, um, Adi Bardenos was the same. So we, we, we knew there were these amazing old vines that were being used to deliver to the co-op. The, the, the farmers were not winemakers, they were just farming the grapes. So for us, it was at that time relatively easy to just move there and go and speak to the farmers and, and find out which were their best parcels and just lease those parcels and make wines from them. So we could kind of identify the best little spots and, and focus on, on making wines just from them. So we could very quickly make amazing wines because 
they were old uh, we, we could focus on the special terroirs and yeah <laughs> so really interesting yeah. that those uh, vines were almost not by accident but just left there because of because they were unfashionable regions uh, and then yeah yeah, yeah exactly so if, if it was you know more more fashionable they would have been taken out also to plant cabernet and merlot and um yeah so do you um do you have an opinion on what obviously it's such a varied country with all these different regions different climates um it's a there's a lot of you know warm climate regions but cool climate regions do you see any um what what varieties do you see really shining coming uh, going forward so obviously shuna um is one of the top ones that we've been tasting we've also been tasting a lot of really great chardonnays as well um yeah. and as for red syrup seems to be doing really well and obviously cabernet sauvignon is enjoying a lot of popularity what mm. what varieties excite you the most at the moment that you think the, oh, yeah. the new generation are discovering now so i think the, the one thing is also south africa in south africa you can go from cape town Pretty much in two hours, you can get to pretty much all the wine regions. If you go north, east, or northeast, you, you get to pretty much all the wine regions pretty quickly. So it's not a it's not a huge geographic area, yeah. but it changes very quickly because we've got two oceans. On the west coast, is very very cold. On this on the southern coast, it's it's much warmer, more humid. We've got these two mountain ranges that really dramatically affect the the landscape and the terroir. So the, the wine region is all very, very different from each other. So, so Swatland there uh, is obviously more Mediterranean, warmer, drier. So there the, the, the varieties that work are Mediterranean grapes, Grenache, Syrah, um, Stellenbosch closer to the ocean. I, I suppose it's, um, you know, it, it works extremely well with Bordeaux varieties. Um, and then you go into the mountains. Elgin is very cool. It's high up. Um, so their Chardonnay starts doing really well as it does in, in Himal and Ardo with Pinot as well. So, so the, the, I think also within South Africa, you need, what's happening now is the regions are also focusing on not, not just making wines that are transparent, but also from varieties that are best suited to their region. So I think the one grape that kind of works almost everywhere is Shannon, uh, cause it's a very versatile variety. It's got so much acidity. Uh, and it works well in very sort of lean, linear styles. It makes more textural styles in our region. You can make sweet wines, that kind of thing. So Shannon kind of works whether you're in Stellenbosch or Swatland all over. But other than that, the, the regions are very much focusing. So so in Swatland, don't try Cabernet <laughs> or, or Merlot um, or Chardonnay. Um, definitely, you know, Mediterranean varieties and, and including not just French, but, you know, the Spanish or, or even now we're working with planting Greek varieties. So, um, yeah, then Stellenbosch, definitely it's, it's the kingdom of Cabernet. The cabs there are incredible. Uh, Cab Francs are extremely exciting. So, yeah, the regions are starting to, to develop identities for, for what they do well, yeah. Where do you see it going forward? So we really enjoyed tasting some of the top producers, um, but there there seems to be still quite a vast range in terms of, uh, let's say, quality. How how long do you think it would take for the country as a whole to really um, be recognised yeah. for full potential? Yeah, I, you know, I think at the moment in South Africa, I think there's about six hundred producers, uh, so maybe seven hundred. Um, I would say at the moment, 
10% of those are fantastic. Um, so 60, 70 you are making insanely amazing world-class wines. So often they're very small and, and you, you need to come to South Africa and <laughs> it will, will tell you where to go. Um, so th there's a nice, you know, there's a nice chunk of, of really exciting dynamic producers that are, are doing amazing things. Um, and a lot of younger guys who are just getting going, their wineries are three, four, five, six years old, making very focused. They've all studied winemaking. They've traveled, they've worked at top wineries all over the world. Um, so the, I, there's a, there's an amazing core of, of really exciting producers. And then obviously, yeah, there are the the older school traditional guys who are just doing what they've always done, and and they mostly sell their wine locally, maybe export a bit. Um, so that there is a there is a mix, but I, f I think that's in all all countries around the world. Um, so I, I'm very excited. I think that there's a lot of potential. It's just getting better and better and better, and and the standard is getting higher and higher and higher every year. You know, we, when we first released our wines, we were easily at the top <laughs> and now every year it's it's like oh geez i, I speak with andrew and we're like we really got to lift our game you know <laughs> um because it's it's so competitive but in a good way it's it's um yeah so I, i'm very positive very excited about south africa yeah amazing and the last two years with covid um obviously it's it's been a bit challenging for the alcohol industry in general um yeah but a couple of other producers that i've i've spoken to have said actually it's been a good time to sort of knuckle down and focus on your actual production um yes and there definitely. have some benefits to it how how has it affected um Milina? yeah no you that that's completely right you know we, initially we were all extremely stressed um luckily south africa is quite a strong export country because we don't have a huge domestic market we're we're quite strongly export focused mm. so in a way for a producer like ourselves, it, it sales weren't necessarily badly impacted. Obviously, there were a few issues with shipping, that kind of thing. But we were forced, in a way, to to not travel, to stay at home, and uh, yeah. So it's it's been a lot of focus on on the vineyards, on on things in, at home in the winery, <laughs> our family. <laughs> so yeah, there, there have been a lot of changes. We've we've had to adapt and and you know change the way we work a little bit, but. I would say in, in hindsight, it's when we look back in 10 years time, it's, it's going to have been a, yeah, it's going to have had good, good impacts or good, good influences on, on, on what we do. Um, but having said that, you know, it, it is an, an important thing to travel and get new people to taste your wines. And, and so it's, yeah, I think it's not something you can ignore. We're, you know, when, when I've been to Hong Kong, I, I, I realized how unknown South Africa is and, and, it's important that we do get our wines. We get our wines in front of people and just get them to taste them and and realize how good they are. So mm, we yeah. can't sit at home and do nothing forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Um, yeah. That kind of ties into one of my other questions, um, which is about uh, pricing of South African wines. Yeah. But in your opinion, where do you think South African wine should compete on the global market at what sort of price point? Because I guess it has done really well at the sort of lower price point, but then it might get sort of stuck in that perception of uh, very yeah. value, lower price yeah. uh, wine. Well, I, look, I, I think it's it's like any market. We, we should have, it depends on the producer. We, we should be in all different price points. Um, mm -hmm. So 
there, there are a lot of people who make big volumes of wine and their wines will be at the lower price points. Mm. Um, but for sure, we need wines that are selling at hundreds of dollars as well. Um, and that's, I think that's the challenge is, is again, getting people to accept that, that South Africa is not just about um, value for money, uh, lower price points. Um, so yeah, it, it's, and I suppose we, we and, a, and a handful of other producers are kind of at that cutting edge. So we, we do sometimes get a bit of resistance on it, but it's okay. We, we're not making millions of bottles. So we, we, we just need to find those customers who, who understand us. And, and normally it's, it's just a case, as I said just now, of, of just getting the wine in front of people, just get them to taste it. And as soon as they do, they, they buy. It, it's, it's sometimes difficult to, to, to say, you know, buy my wine if they haven't tasted it. They just see the, the label and the price. They go, okay. But um, as soon as people taste them, they, yeah, they love them. So, yeah. so for sure, I, I think we do have an issue at the moment where a lot of our wines are at lower price points um, in South Africa. And um, it's, it's changing for sure. I mean, when, when we first released our Syrah in London in 2009, it was priced at, it was like at a nice Croix Hermitage price. And, and that was the, the limit. They, they were like, you, you cannot price your wine higher than, than Alain Graillot. There was like... <laughs> Um, and so we did and, and it's, and it's sold. Um, but we subsequently released our single terroir series, which are, you know, four times that price mm. and we can't s- supply enough of that. So it's, you know, it's taken 15 years, but it's changed very, very strongly. Um, so yeah, we just need to do that in other markets as well. Yeah. And I'm sure. So for that reason, travel is really important, uh, for you yeah. to get out yep. there and show people your wine so they can taste them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and what you guys are doing is is introducing it also, you know, giving a stamp of approval. <laughs> so that's that's um, critical as well. Yeah. Mm. And so uh, yeah, yeah, of course. And just to wrap up, what do you think are perhaps the biggest challenges going forwards uh, for producers? Look in South Africa, I think there's two things. Um, obviously, we're we are a warm, dry place, well, especially where we are in the Swatland. So, climate change is an issue. Uh, getting warmer, getting drier. Yeah. Um, we, we're all we went through a massive drought the last five years, and um, I think that taught us a lesson about farming, how important it is to to be farming more naturally. Um, the, the vineyards that we farmed that were farming very naturally before kind of cruised through the, the drought much more easily than those that weren't, yeah. um, you know, using cover crops, mulches, composts, that kind of thing. So um, we, yeah, that that's really brought that home to us. And, and so it's a huge focus of ours and, and a lot of other producers in the area. The other thing, obviously, is, as I mentioned, is working with experimenting with new varieties. So, you know, using grapes like Assertico for our white blend, you know, uh, to bring acidity in are, are going to be important, I think. So that, that's the one thing is adapting to climate change because we do have already quite an extreme climate. <clears throat> the other thing, obviously, in South Africa is always the, the kind of the, the political future. There, there's, a, there's always a bit of uncertainty. Um, you know, we've got an, an amazing president at the moment. <laughs> He's got his hands full dealing with COVID. But, um, yeah, it's always... If you look ten years down the, down the line, it's always a little bit gray. Like, wh- where will South Africa be? So I think that's the other the other thing. Um, and 
tied in with that is we do have issues like social issues with very bad levels of education. And so often it's on the producers themselves to, to educate their workers and to, to train them and uplift them properly. Um, so that's, I think, yeah, a very important part of it is we, we, as a, as a, as a producer, as a company, we don't just wave our employees goodbye at the end of the day. We, we've got to look after them. Um, okay. And that that's, I think also really important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great. That was really interesting. Um, cool. Thank you for getting up so early to talk to me. Um, really appreciate it. No, no problem. Yeah, yeah, good to meet you. Um, and yeah, like I said, I, I look forward to coming okay. to, to the restaurant also and, and seeing you guys in person. Thank you. Have a good day. Cool. All right. Cheers. Bye. Bye.